Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. You know, um, I think I said this last service, but just being able to travel and, and meet the body in different areas here in the UK and in the US, to be in a place where worship erupts like it does in here, it's not normal, guys. You're really blessed. I just, just want to encourage you. You're in a great spot here. Uh, your pastor is full of God, faith, and... Uh, confidence he's got god confidence and i can see it in his face it's in his voice and uh, i think that that whole heart here has created a platform for god to land to land on so i just want to encourage you first of all you you picked a great church if you're from this church you picked a great one if you're not from this church you should probably come to the no, <laughs> but uh yeah so i just wanted to say that you guys are very special uh to hear you, to hear your hearts go up to Jesus like that, just it's, it blesses me uh, because he's being loved. Uh, there was an old saint by the name of Jacopone de Tati, and he said, uh, actually, he was known in the city because he'd be walking, walking through the city weeping, walking and weeping. And somebody ran up to him one day and said, why, why are you always weeping when we see you? He says, I weep because love himself is not loved. This reminds me of David's words when he says, I weep because men don't keep your law. In other words, because you're not valued, God, it breaks my heart. (laughs) You're so valued to me that when I see you're not valued, it affects me. And so seeing him valued here, I feel the inverse. I feel it's just it affects me in a positive way. Seeing that you guys value his presence and his person and you worship him. It's just wonderful. And I also have to say, I think Lydia might be the best worship leader I know. You know, many times just being shifted around and put in different situations, uh, I'm around worship leaders and sometimes they start going, they start going vertical and then all of a sudden they go horizontal. And you're like, we're almost, no we're not, we're not, yeah. But she just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. I'm like, man, this girl is just in love with Jesus and recognizes he must have all the attention. And so I'm just, I'm blessed. Every time she starts going, I'm just like, what is she going to do tonight? <laughs> and so I just, I, you're just amazing. Yeah, blessings. So I want to talk to you, if it's okay, about Jesus. <laughs> is that all right? I mean, to, to me, I mean, I've, I've, I've been walking with God now since 1996. I haven't been preaching that long. I mean, I, I started preaching when I was a teenager, but I didn't actually get into full-time ministry until 2010. And when I say full-time ministry, you know, we're all full-time ministers. But what I mean is uh, God called me to leave everything and to trust him for income and go preach. And so that's only been about uh, almost 10 years now that I've been doing that. And the longer that I walk with God, the more that I'm, I'm seeing, there's nothing else to say. I see some people have, you know, different emphasis and they go into this and that. But to me, nothing else holds my interest. I just It's the person of Jesus that is inexhaustible, which means you can't get to the bottom of him. You can talk about him all the time, every day, and you're still only scratching or not even scratching the surface of his limitless person. You know, we know now by science and stuff that when you throw a ball in outer space, it just goes forever. And we know that that is inside of this person. So the, it's like he's inexhaustible, period. And so when you start looking at that and seeing him like that, I just feel like the greatness of his majesty makes emphasizing anything else the biggest tragedy. If I could say it like that. But... I want to talk to you specifically about him being the one and the only. I want you to say this. Say one. One. And I want you to say only. Only. This is very significant. This actually comes from the book of John. When John says that Jesus is the one and only begotten son of God. The one and only. 
You know, we have these days when a boxer comes out or something, they're like, the one and the only, you know, Mike Tyson or whatever. You know, this, this is borrowed. This is taken from what it really means, which is there is only one. And, and there will always be only one. And that's what one and only means. It means there has never been another and there will never be another. And though I love, you know, the rise of understanding identity and things these days, it's, it's good in part, but I think sometimes our identity eclipses his person and things get so positional, they're no longer personal, if you know what I mean. Do you understand what I mean when I say this? Let me explain it. So even when we're glorified and we stand before God and we are completely glorified, we will still say there is only one worthy of glory and it is jesus and even if you look at you know revelation when all of humanity is standing before god and john is there and you think of whoever you want enoch moses whoever you think to be great is there standing and staring at the throne and the scroll needs to be opened and there is no one worthy to open the scroll and then john starts to cry Why? Because this is very serious. If that scroll doesn't open, everybody's doomed. Who is worthy to open up the scroll? He starts crying. And then one of the elders taps him on the shoulder. He's like, hey, John, don't worry, man. There is one. It is the Lamb of God or the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to open the scroll. And so it is even today that he will always be the only thing worthy of all attention in our day in and day out. Sometimes I find that when we say statements like this, Jesus is enough. It's wonderful, and I love the statement, but sometimes we're disconnected from what it actually means. We almost use it as a blanket, and some people see it as a cop-out. Like, you have an issue, you have a problem, you have something that needs a solution, and then you go to somebody for counsel, and they say, Jesus is enough with that blanket. You're like, oh, yes, I forgot. But what does that mean? Jesus is enough. How does Jesus being enough actually work into right Now, I think this is very important to touch on because otherwise it just remains a exalted statement and it doesn't become a a practical reality where he is actually enough. (laughs) At some point, we're going to have to make a decision whether or not Jesus is enough for us. At some point, we're going to come into some situation where you will be faced with having to choose whether or not God is enough for you or not. And it's easy to say, but when that moment comes, there's a decision that needs to be made. Will I let you fulfill me and be all to me? Or am I making and longing for you to do something? Act, God. Do you understand what I mean? Now, he does act and he does perform wonderful things, but we always have to remember that he's more precious than his promises. And we can't put his promises and the things that come from his hands in front of his face because we get in real, uh, we get, we start being dismantled when that happens. We start losing strength when we put his hands in, in front of his face. I mean, if you just look at God's jealousy for Abraham, it's very clear. God has promised all of these things to Abraham and even his own purposes are inside of what he wants to do through Abraham. And Abraham has this loving relationship with God day in and day out. I can just see it with my own heart. Like the movie inside of my heart, I can see it. Abraham every day wakes up and makes his eye contact with God and he lives his life in faith before his friend. And then God says, I want to do all these things in the earth and I want to use you to do it. Shall I hide from Abraham the things that I'm going to do? What a relationship, what a statement that God would say, you know, I just don't want to hide anything from my friend. I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do. This is beautiful, isn't it? And so God has all these wonderful plans for Abraham. And then in the midst of giving him a son, supernaturally, by the way, he gives him a supernatural son. In that son is the fulfillment of all the promises God has for him. Then one day, I believe, God waits for Abraham to wake up and make eye contact with him. Abraham wakes up, and instead of looking directly into the eyes of the one that he loves, he sees, God sees, Abraham's looking at his son. And God looks at him and he says, wait a second, I didn't give him to you 
so that he would take my place. I gave him to you and I have purposes for you. But if you're going to put my purposes and my promises in front of me, I want you to kill it. So he says, take your son up to the mountain and kill him. As a matter of fact, this is the first mention of worship, if you didn't know. is the first time worship is mentioned in the scriptures right here. So what does he do? He takes his son, he brings him up there, and then when he raises the knife to kill him, end all the purposes. Do you see the principle here? God would rather end all the things he wants to do through you if he doesn't have you. And when you have that in perspective, you see he's jealous to have you more than even to get stuff done through you. And, and once that settles, then you're like, oh man, this is a love thing. This is about love. It's not about God gathering together a whole bunch of elves to go and do his bidding. He wants a bride. He wants someone who looks at him and loves him and enjoys him. This is what he wants. And so here you have Abraham raises the knife to kill his son. And then you remember what God says? God says, don't kill him. He says, now I know that you fear me. Do you see this first time the fear of the Lord is ever mentioned? I've heard so many things taught on the fear of the Lord. I've read books on the fear of the Lord. And everybody fails to remember the very first time the fear of the Lord is actually mentioned, which is right here, a knife raised to end the thing that is getting in front of God. God says, now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld from me. You see, this is the essence of the fear of the Lord. Yes, there is an aspect of the majesty of God that may cause you to tremble and say, whoa, he is incredible. But there's something so much deeper in what God wants when he talks about the fear of the Lord. It means I want to reign unchallenged in your heart. And loving Jesus means it means that nothing is competing with him for your attention. Loving Jesus means, oh, Lord, you have all my heart. Loving Jesus means, Lord, I'm willing to shut down my ministry tomorrow if you feel it to be something between us. It means, oh, Lord, is, is this job that I have getting between our love? Then I will let it all go. It means, is this person in my life stepping in front of you? Well, Lord, here's, I love you so much. That even though there is a, a desire for this and it may hurt, I'll lop it off because I want you more than anything else. Do you, do you see what I mean? And so some people, they live their lives holding on to all of these things. And it creates something that I like to call unnecessaries. Say this with me. Say unnecessaries. So unnecessaries to me are things that are unnecessary. <laughs> Situations that just, they're not necessary. They're not even, they're, they're problems that have to do with you holding on to something God intended for you to let go of a long time ago. Do you remember when God called Abraham and he said, go out, you know, go into and don't bring anybody with you? Did you know he didn't completely obey? He brought a lot with him. A lot was a relative of his. Now, God is merciful and he let him, you know, take him with him. You know what I mean? But do you remember the problem that arose? There's an unnecessary that came in because of something he didn't let go of. You follow me? And I find that some of us, we have a lot of these things in our lives and we're wondering, and sometimes we even label it spiritual warfare. You know? Or we, we label it, the devil's attacking me. You need to just cut Lot off and you'll be fine because you got some unnecessary stuff going on. You know, like I, I remember some, some guy came to me one time and he's like, yeah, man, I just, you know, I, I just can't stop struggling with pornography. I'm just like, oh, cool. And the more that I talked with him, the more that I heard and the more that I saw what he was interested in, he was watching all kinds of stuff that was just very enticing. I'm like, bro, why? But do you see that you're letting this or holding on to this? You won't let this go. And then you have this inflow of something that's there because you won't let something go. So you have actually whatever you won't let go of becomes an inflow of stuff that doesn't need to be there. And so sometimes it's just a fear of the Lord issue. And so once we let the spirit of the fear of the Lord in, and Jesus has his rightful place, now you start understanding what it is to say, joy unspeakable and full of glory, and peace that passes all understanding. This is God's intended desire for you. Not that, not that you would have seasons of joy, but that you would live in joy. 
Did you know that the Bible has a command in it? It says, be joyful always. Yes. It doesn't say, you know, you should be joyful seven days or six days out of the week. It's, it's all the time. In other words, this is the Christian life, unbroken joy. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite writers, Gordon Fee, wrote a masterpiece of a book called God's Empowering Presence. He goes through all the letters of Paul and he shows you what the Spirit's work is in the believer's life. It's incredible. I recommend it to anybody. But in the book, he says this statement. He says, joy is the hallmark of genuine spirituality. Mother Teresa said, joy is preaching without preaching. In other words, your face carrying the joy of the Lord is in itself a type of the good news. It's so funny when people try to preach the good news without joy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's called glad tidings. Yeah. Sometimes I see people on the, you know, I used to, I used to do a lot of street preaching and uh, I went to the Super Bowl one time. Do you guys know what the Super Bowl is? It's our, it's American football <laughs> with the pads, you know. And so I went to the Super Bowl because there's a lot of people there and we were going to preach. And there was other guys that had the same idea, but they stood up on soapboxes and yelled at everybody, calling women that were passing by, they were calling them whores. Yeah, and there were the men that were walking by. They were literally they were trying to call up, trying to find sins. You know, you're the, and it was ridiculous. We're sitting there, we're looking at them, and they're preaching Jesus. No, it's not not right. <laughs> it it was so, it was so repulsive. They were angry, and this is this is one of those times when, I thought to myself, you know, their message is not glad tidings. Their message is trying to convict people of sin. Only the Spirit can convict people of sin. That's why we preach the wonderful majesty of Jesus, and then the Spirit does the work of conviction. And it's beautiful, and it's, and it's, it's wonderful the way that He does it. So I'm, I'm convinced the longer that I walk with Him, the more there's nothing else to say other than this real person, Jesus, experienced, loved, and adored all day long. You know, when John saw in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist sees Jesus. Do you remember this? When he sees him from far away, he says, behold the lamb. So what he, he sees, he says, and I believe this is what happens when we start seeing more than just Jesus, we start saying more than just Jesus. But when we see Jesus and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, then we have one message and it's Jesus. You know, some people like to say, you know, uh, there's other things, bro. No, no, there's nothing outside of him. There's nothing outside of him. He said, yeah, but there's counsel and there's therapy. Listen, any counsel or therapy that's not pointing you to Jesus is not good. Well, but, but there's classes. You know, no, cl- any class that doesn't teach you about Jesus, then there's a problem. There's only one universal solution to all the problems of mankind, and it is God's only son, period. That's why when we do the schools of his presence, I start the schools out most of the time by saying, the school of his presence is to teach you that the presence is the only school. (laughs) Just to be with him and to enjoy him, this is it. See, if he has all our attention, then he's the only thing we're going to mention. That doesn't mean you can't say, pass the salt. You know, hey, can you pass the salt? Because you're only, I can only say Jesus. You know what I mean? Don't, Don't get weird on me. What I mean is, as bread and as life, and as source, and as attention, and as emphasis, it's Jesus. You can still, you know what I mean, if you go out with your friends or something, and, and you're shooting pool or something, and be like, hey man, pass me that pole, it's fine. You know, you're not getting out of God's will if you don't, you know what I mean? People get weird. I get all kinds of weird questions. When I talk about abiding in His presence, they're like, yeah, but I have to walk my dog. I'm like, <laughs> my bro, I don't, where, where's the disconnect here? I don't understand. Some people just get really strange. You know, A.W. Tozer talked about the merge of the sacred and the secular. This is a beautiful picture, as a matter of fact. On the one hand, you have the sacred stuff, which we all recognize to be loving Jesus and enjoying Him and all these things. And then over here, you have the secular work. You know what I mean? And so we separate these two things or compartmentalize them. And Tozer says what has to happen is you've got to put them together so that everything secular comes through the thing that's sacred. And so everything that you do, no matter what it would be, you know, if you have a a hobby, you love to fish or you love to play golf or whatever it is that that you like to do, it's all done unto the glory of God because it's all done in awareness and attentiveness to his person. You play with your kids 
in attentiveness to his person. You spend time with your wife with attentiveness to his person. As a matter of fact, I'm a way better husband when I'm aware of Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a really good husband when I'm not aware of Jesus. As a matter of fact, my wife can tell right off the bat if my heart is disheveled, if my heart is out of focus. She can see it. She can hear it in my, my tone. It's so funny that, it, that pride can hide in a tone. Isn't, you can say the same things as another person, or you can even say the same thing two different days, and one of them has the tone, and the other one doesn't. You say, Eric, I don't think God's really interested in my tone. They're lost or out there. Let me tell you what God is interested in. He's interested in your tone. But Eric, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, it means so much. It's indicative as to whether or not he holds your heart. This is what matters. And so I feel in my heart like the person of Jesus is is literally the only thing that God wants to say repeatedly to us. As a matter of fact, this whole book took 1,600 years to put together. Did you know that? 1,600 years to put this together, all to say one thing, Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one thing that God is saying. It's Jesus. As a matter of fact, let me just show you something. Turn to Matthew 17. If you you don't have your Bible, it's fine. I'm going to read it anyways. But I want to show you this. This stuck out to me the other day. This is when Jesus actually takes these guys up on the mountainside. So I'm not going to go very long. I'm just going to hold up Jesus, and then we're going to worship him again. And the Spirit of God will just quicken you fresh in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. He'll align you. This is just how he does it. So... Chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him. Do you see this? Jesus took with him. This means they were in one place, and Jesus took them to another place. He relocated them. He took them away from something into something. Eric, why is that so so significant? Because look at where he takes them. He takes them up on a high mountain. What is so significant about a high mountain? Well, if you've read through the scriptures, you see mountains are always used by God for separation. Separation meaning you're detached from the earth and going to the high places. This is where a lot of worship was done and things like this. You have the Mount Mount Sinai. You have Moses meeting on the mountain. Jesus transfigured right here on the mountain. The mountain represents being separated from the, the below. This is being taken up. So what does Jesus do? He comes to where they are in the world. He takes them up. I have been sent to tell you Jesus wants to take you up. He wants to remove you from this down here and take you up with him. It's all presence oriented with him. Then it says this. He was transfigured before them. This is where you see the majesty of Jesus. When you follow him away. When you follow him away. If we don't withdraw with him, we will soon withdraw from him. But if you withdraw with him, you will see him. Here's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't see the Lord. And let me explain what I mean when I say see the Lord. When you were born again, you were given a faculty by which you can perceive God. This is called new life. So before you were saved, you did not have this faculty to be able to perceive God. You were called dead. But when you become born again, the Spirit of God comes in and quickens you with life, which is a, the, the awakening of a faculty by which God can be perceived. The inability to perceive God was your fallen state. But now you're born into a life that has the perception of God alive. Now you can hear Him, and you can see Him, and you can sense Him. Eric, but I've never seen Jesus face to face. Oh, neither have I. But there's a seeing without seeing. This is the kind of thing that's spoken of with Moses when it says, he endured seeing him who is unseen. Fixed on a beauty that I cannot see, yet you are more beautiful than anything else to me. This kind of seeing with that new faculty of being. When you go away, you're able to see him. You perceive him. As a matter of fact, when God teaches men how to pray, how does he teach them how to pray? He says, 
when you pray, remember Jesus is God. Remember that? Yeah. The God teaches men. Did you know all things were created by Christ? That means you were created by Christ. And then that Christ says to you, when you pray, this is how you do it. Get away. Eric, when does he say that? He says, he says, go into your closet and shut the door. That's two things. That's silence and solitude. That didn't start with the monks. It started when God taught men how to pray. Get away from people and then shut out the noise. Silence and solitude. This is where Jesus will show himself to you in resplendent glory. Now, as you go, as you go down, look at what happens. You see the funny thing that Peter says, which is really weird. And then you see that the sky begins to speak, and it's God, right? Look at what it says here. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is the last command that ever comes out of the sky. There's not another one that comes out of the sky by God's own voice. And what is it? Listen to Jesus. That command came out of the sky by the mouth of God, and it has never been taken back. It is still in effect today. Here is God's command from the sky. Listen to Jesus. And you say, what does it mean to listen to Jesus? Well, listening is very similar to what you are doing right now. You're not speaking. You're passively, attentively receiving. And this is why the spiritual life is so easy. It's so simple. You passively, attentively receive. Or attentively, passively receive the Lord. And as you receive the Lord, He comes in to be Himself through you. That's why spirituality is the easiest thing that can come out of a person. Because you don't do it. It's the act of the Spirit. That's why I love when Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. (laughs) It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means only the Spirit can do it. You know, Paul doesn't say, listen guys, try your best to love. Try your best to have peace. No, he says, listen, don't even worry about that. Just be like a tree that receives sap and this is will be the result. This is kind of just what begins to happen. He's trying to just give them a framework for how they can tell whether or not they're receiving God. Do you see? And so it's so simple. I remember I was at Brownsville and Bob Gladstone was one of my professors and I really loved him in that day. And he was praying for people and I really wanted to be prayed for. Bad. And uh, I was like, God, do something in my life. Do something in my life. And I I came up there behind him and he turns around and I thought he was going to lay hands on me and pray for me, but he points his bony finger in my face and he yells something and spits in my face with, with this loud statement that he says. And he turns around and walks away and never even prayed for me. This is what he said. He turned around and he goes, Everything in the spirit is easy. It was really freaky. <laughs> but his finger was right here, and I'm like looking at it, he's like, Everything in the spirit is easy. And I didn't understand what he was saying in the moment, but as I grew in the Lord, I began to see that's what he was saying. Even more than being prayed for, following the spirit makes everything easy. And so I began to see in my own life, it's not about having somebody lay their hands on me and then all of a sudden, poof, I'm Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like it's following the Spirit. He gives you ease. He gives you ease in your life and you just begin to just go through real simple, real easy. Real, so simple, so easy. You know, people get upset when I start talking about ease because most people's lives are lived in difficulty and magnifying their difficulty. And some people even find their spirituality in magnifying their difficulty. Oh, you don't even know what I've been going through. Oh, man, when you've been lifted with Jesus, you forget all the stuff that's happened to you. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that even happened. Why? Because you've been dazzled. You've been literally blinded by this wonderful ecstatic enjoyment of the Lord. It's very similar to David in the, in the Psalms. If you've ever read through the Psalms, he's like, He's like way down here, and then he's like way up here, and then he's like way down here. It's so funny. He's like, they seek to kill me. Basically, they seek my life. Now, remember when David is saying this, he's living in a time where they cut off hands and feet and heads and then pin the body to the wall and send the body parts out. You know, this is a very gruesome time. And he's like, these guys are seeking to kill me. In other words, they want to cut me up in pieces. It's not just they're talking about me. 
He said some bad things about me. No, they want to kill him. They want to slice him open. Do you, you understand? And in the midst of this, he's like, they seek my life. And then he'll swing all the way up and say, but I love your words. It, he's just showing me that once Jesus has taken your heart and he is, you're attentive to him, you begin to just slip past all of the terrible things that are going on in your life. It's almost as if love for Jesus suspends your natural consciousness. And you're literally like, you're literally able to just walk over things that were, that are impossible for other people. I really believe that this is an authentic Christian life. I I really believe with all my heart, this is what the gospel is meant to bring us into. To be a people that are above the earth. Living here in the earth, but above it. And so you're like, oh, Eric, but, but how do you live above it? You know, Ephesians tells us that we have a simultaneous dwelling. You are here and there simultaneously. As a matter of fact, did you know that the word priest comes from the word pillar? Eric, what's so significant about that? Pillars are on the ground and in the sky simultaneously. So you're up here and connected here. You are those who are in heaven yet on the earth. You're a priest unto God. I'm telling you right now that the blood of Jesus in Revelation tells us that he has made us unto himself a kingdom of priests. In other words, a divine order. God has literally laid everything out for you to be those that are the priests. Oh, do you remember when Hezekiah is rebuilding everything? It's the, The whole city is in ruins and Hezekiah is bringing a new order. Do you guys remember this? Do you remember what Hezekiah says to the priest? I can see the words of God coming out of Hezekiah's mouth to the priest. He says this. He goes, my sons. Love that introduction. My sons. It's very much like the father. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has called you to minister, to stand before him and to minister unto him. Do you see this? You're priests, whether you like it or not. Whether you change diapers all day long, you're a priest. If the blood has touched your life, you have been made into a pillar that touches the earth and is in simultaneously in the heavens. This is what Jesus does. So you say, Eric, I don't, I don't understand. What's the significance of that? People come to me all the time and say, what's my purpose? I need to find my purpose. I'm going to tell you what your purpose is, okay? Don't be negligent. Don't be negligent. But recognize that God has chosen you. Chosen me for what? Well, I'm going to tell you. He chose you to stand before him. That's presence talk. As a matter of fact, the word that's used there for stand has to do with two things. has to do with proximity and longevity. In other words, it has to do with time in the presence. What has God called you to? Time in his presence. What do I do in his presence? I'm glad you asked because it goes on to say, minister unto him. I have a dear friend of mine who loves Todd White. Does anybody know the, na- yeah. the name Todd White? Yeah, he's, a, he's crazy. I've been with him in Israel and he climbed through the server's window where they lay the food that's going to go out to the people. He climbed through the server's window to preach the gospel to all the cooks. <laughs> he, he's just wild. Everywhere he is, he's on mission. It's wonderful. But one of my friends was really inspired by him and he goes, you know what? I want to get a job and I want to win everybody to my job and create a church from the job. That's a really cool desire, right? I love it. So he gets the job and once he gets in there, they're like, okay, this is what you're going to be doing. Here's a broom. You sweep this room every day. And then he's like, okay, he goes in there and then he's like, but there's literally no one here. He's all by himself sweeping a large room every day. So he's very disappointed, and he says to God, he says, God, there's no one to minister to. And the Lord says back to him, what about me? Will you minister unto me? And I find a lot of people are so eager to minister to others and forget that your highest ministry is to minister unto the Lord and to enjoy him forever. And to have all your peace and joy found right there. Just enjoying him and spending time with him. Do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and to minister unto him. This is what Jesus does. And this is what Jesus is, is longing for. I'm going to uh, tell you this, uh, this story that I really love so much. A old saint was actually 
asked by God. Well, he was actually asking God in the midst of a crisis. How many of you have been through a crisis before? Where things are just really difficult and you really just need like clarity on some things. So he says to the Lord, Lord, I'm in this rough place. I really need you to, to speak to me. And the Lord appears to him. I'm not sure if it was by dream or what, or vision. But the Lord stands in front of him and he goes, do you desire blessing? I mean, what would you say? He's like, yes. And the Lord says to him, who's more blessed than me? He says, do you desire joy? He says, I am joy. Do you desire peace? He goes, I'm the prince of peace. Do you desire a friend? Who's a better friend than me? Do you desire life? Who can be life to you but me? The last thing he says is my favorite. He goes, do you desire beauty? Who's more beautiful than me? And to me, I find in my own life that when I forget his beauty... I start looking for all kinds of other things. When I fail to yield to him and look to him, I immediately find that I'm not satisfied in my heart and lack of satisfaction starts looking all over the place. I remember John Piper once wrote, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And I believe that is pinpointing the issue, which is simply this, that holiness is a satisfaction issue. Holiness is the fruit of being addicted to the maximum pleasure of life, which is God himself. And the more that we're in love with him and enjoy him and look to him and give him all of our attention, the easier everything will become. Are you saying that he removes all trials and there'll be no more trials? Absolutely not. I'm saying there's something greater than removing trials. It's living above them. You take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have things that come against you. There will be things, trials, tribulations. He says, but here's the thing. I've, I've overcome all of them. So if you're in me, you live overcoming all of them. You say, Eric, but it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like that. Just hold on to Jesus. You'll find he always wins. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't lose ever. So I, I encourage you guys that, that he is greater than the angels and he's higher than the priests. And every knee will bow to his exalted seat. Seven stars in his hand, every crown at his feet. Complete and perfect are his ways. He's the ancient of days. The earth and sky flee from his face. He's a person, a taste, a resting place, a refuge in any case. Oh, hasten the day when our faith shall be sight. And Because he is bright, the bride's clothes become white. He's the lamp in the night, the end of all the fights. All power and might, light, life and love. It's Jesus above. I've come to tell you. <laughs> I guess the main thing that I've come to tell you is that he really is everything that he has told us. And he's not, he's not sometimes it. He is always it. <laughs> and he isn't just, you know, uh, you know, a partial answer. He's the complete answer. And the more that we come to see him, the more that we see 90% of our prayers vanish in his presence. Because we quickly find out, oh, it was you that I needed the entire time. It was just you. And let me just explain real quickly what I mean when I say, it is just you that I needed. What I mean by that is not the idea of Jesus. See, men separate themselves from the experience of God when their loyalty is to the idea of God more than the person of God. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, people get so loyal to their ideas of God that they lose the person of God. And experience is where everything switches. Experience transforms your knowledge into knowing God. Because some people have lots of knowledge, but it doesn't drop from the brain un into the blood until experience takes place. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus? When Jesus is, is speaking to them, do you remember what, what happens is there's the words being spoken to them and then it says they knew him? Something happened in between the words and the knowing. It was a burning heart. So you have words and experience brings it to knowing. Some people have words and they live there. And then they wonder why they're not satisfied, nor do they ever come to know the Lord. They are ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're learning the Bible. They're memorizing things. But the reality is, is they don't have the experience of his person that is all the things that he promises. 
in the scriptures. I'll close with this. Nobody, I've said this many times, but it's just the best way to, it's the best way to say it. Nobody gets pregnant holding hands. You can't skip the closet. You can't, you can't skip a personal, intimate, loving exchange with Jesus. You say, Eric, I don't know anybody who's trying to skip one. Well, let me explain it to you like this. Some people think that if they read the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, that they're going to become pregnant. You say, Eric, I don't know anybody who believes that. Well, neither do I. But here's the thing. Some people think that if they read this book, that they're going to get pregnant with God's purpose. You can't skip the closet. I know theologians who teach this book for a living and they're going to hell because they don't know him. The Pharisees knew what God said. They didn't know what God was saying. They saw what had been written, but they didn't see a living face. There's no experience of his person. And so you can't go to, you can't, you can't get pregnant by memorizing what to expect when expecting. You cannot, you cannot enter into sweet, intimate experience with Jesus skipping the closet and only reading. Do you understand? Yes. Now, let's, let's do another one. Some people think that if they get around women who are pregnant, they're going to get pregnant too. <laughs> like there's a circle of women, then they jump in, me too. You know what I mean? Then they're pregnant too. It doesn't happen like this. You say, Eric, I don't know anybody who believes that. But there are people that think if you get around people who are intimate with Jesus and experience him, that you're going to be intimate with Jesus too. No, no, no. They can't be intimate for you. You have to go into the closet yourself and shut the door. One of my friends just had an incredible vision. It was actually about Abraham, which is funny because I started with Abraham. I just remembered it right now. He was praying in his room, and Abraham, this is just a a vision, okay? It's not a a visitation, okay? i got to clear that up because I almost lost a whole uh, engagement in the UK because I said something I didn't clarify. So this is just a vision. <laughs> They're like, Eric's talking to dead people. No. <laughs> so he's praying, and in his in-between state, you ever fall asleep, but you're awake at the same time? He's like in-between, and in the in-between dream-like state, Abraham gets into the room, and he stands up in the vision, and then he says, teach me to pray, Abraham. And Abraham looks at him mercilessly, and he opens the door to his closet and he grabs him by the collar, picks him up and throws him in the closet and shuts the door. (laughs) It's kind of harsh. And you know, it could have been induced by his fleshly mind. But the reality is, is that it's very true. There is no greater teacher of prayer than Jesus. And in order for you to learn how to know him, you've got to go to him. You'll never know him without going to him. And no one can go to him for you. you got to do it yourself. You say, Eric, I don't have a lot of time. Oh, give him whatever you got. And you give him a platform to work. But if you don't give him anything, he's got no platform to work. But if you give him what you have, he'll take it. And even if it's just two loaves, you know what I mean, and a couple of fish, he can multiply your knowledge of him if you'll give him whatever you've got. And I promise you that if you start giving him a little bit of time, this desire for him will begin to grow so much it'll swallow up every other desire. And then your shows will be forgotten. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't watch TV. I, I, I don't want to say that. You shouldn't watch Netflix. You know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of a guy. But I am saying this, that the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you, the prayer is addicting because it's touching heaven and having Jesus flow on the inside. Some people think that if they look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, that they're going to get p- pregnant. <laughs> it's not true. You can't become pregnant by telling yourself you're pregnant. You say, Eric, I don't know anybody who does that. Well, some people think that if they just tell themselves who they are in Christ, they're going to get pregnant. Ooh. It doesn't work. You can't skip the closet. It can't become so positional it's no longer personal. And sometimes what we do is we just tell ourselves, me, 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 me. It's not about you. You want to know when you really found your identity? When you forgot yourself. And you start seeing Jesus. Here's your identity. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. And so I love this kind of thing because it kind of puts everything in perspective. You know, some people think they're going to get pregnant by commitment. No, otherwise my wife would have been pregnant the moment I put a ring on her finger. It doesn't work that way. Some people are so committed to the cause, you know, committed to the cause. 
Listen, you have to go into the closet and experience sweet, intimate exchange with Jesus. Commitment will never make you pregnant. You have to experience him. This happens behind closed doors. There are certain things I will only do with my wife when we're alone. So it is with God. There are certain things God will only do with you when you're away from everybody else. And you shut that door and it's just you and him. This is important. And I know many of you are living this way. I understand. But I've come to encourage you in this. And to breathe on it fresh. That that flame that's there will just begin to light up even more, even more in your life. So that you'll become, uh, you'll, be, you'll be salivating throughout the day to get alone with God. The first thing that you think when you wake up in the morning is, how can I just clear out more time to, to be with God? Can I say one last story and then we'll be done? So I met this pastor. He's in California. He's a Marine, actually, an American Marine. And, hey, do you guys have Marines in the, in the UK? Yeah. Well, in America, we, what? The Navy. So we have Marines in, in, in America. And what these Marines would do is they, were, they would raid houses and find Al-Qaeda. They're like real Gs, you know what I mean, coming in with guns on the, on the ground, you know. So he's a man's man is what I'm saying. I say that on purpose. So he's a Marine who's now a pastor of a church. Listen closely to this. This is wonderful. I saw him after I ministered at his church months later. He was at a dinner that I was at. And I saw him and I was just like, Rick. I'll run over to him. And he looked so different. And he began to talk to me. And his voice sounded different. And I looked at him. I'm like, bro, what happened to you? It's only been a few months, but something has happened to you. And he says to me, I'll tell you later. There's too many people here. I don't want to talk about it. I said, great. Later on, he pulls me aside. And he says, I began to get so hungry for God. I wanted to know him and experience him in a way far beyond what I have yet. And I began to get sick and tired of the spiritual bankruptcy that I'm living in. And I got serious with God. And I came to my wife and I said, I need a couple of days cleared out so I can just sit with God for a few days. I need to be with Jesus in an extended period of time. And then his wife says to him, we're, we have a church we're running here. We got a prayer meeting. The kids have baseball. You, you guys don't have baseball here, do you? No, they got sports, you know, all kinds of different things. <laughs> and she goes, how are you going to do this? Well, there's so many responsibilities. He goes, listen, I need this so bad. I'm making room for him. And so what he did is he picked a couple of days and he goes, whatever dies, I'm going to spend this time with God. And so he cleared out the time and he goes away for a couple of days and he just worships the Lord for several days. And then once he comes, he's, he wakes up on his last day, the Lord speaks to him and he goes, you haven't eaten in two days. Why don't you go grab a bite to eat and go home? So he says, okay, I'm done. He says, the Lord has, has released me. I'm going home. So he's driving home. He sees a restaurant and he goes to the restaurant and he goes to the front and they say, how many? He goes, two. And he goes and he sits down in this restaurant. This is a Marine, man. And he looks across the table and he sees the Lord sitting on the empty chair. And he just begins to weep. And the waiters come over to see if he's okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Rick told me something happened in the moment he saw the Lord sitting in the chair that broke something on the inside of him. He felt everything shifted in his entire life in one glimpse of the Lord across from the table from him. Something began that day that I was able to see months later. It was in his voice. It was in his face. He was broken by God. Maybe the Lord has been telling somebody in this room to block some time out. I'm telling you, if you do it, if you choose to do it, you may have to push some stuff away and there may be some things that fall by the wayside. There may be some things that get left, if you know what I mean. But if you will do it, I promise you, something will be taken out of your voice and something will be put in your face and your heart will be His in a way that it otherwise would not have been. I challenge you. I call you. I invite you. To come away. To let Jesus take you up the mountain and show you his glory. 
so that you can hear from God himself. Listen to my son. Hallelujah. Is this okay? All right. Uh, you know, I'm going to say one last story. Is that okay? Is that all right? Can, can you jump up? Yeah. One last story. One of my daughters, when she was little, she had this doll. Um, if you've had kids, you know, the, the girls, they go through a, a mother thing. You know, they want to be a mom. And so my daughter had this one doll that every time you touched it or moved it, it would move and say stuff. It would be like, ma And so she would hold it. She wanted to play with it, but she couldn't do what she wanted with it because every time she moved it or touched it, it would just move. So she brings the doll to me, and she says, Daddy, will you break this doll so that it doesn't work anymore so I can play with it the way that I want to? (laughs) And it wasn't long. Long ago, I was in Budapest preaching. And when I was on the stage, I perceived the Lord. And he knelt down after I fell to my knees and I started to cry. He knelt down and he put that whole picture in front of me and my daughter saying that to me. And I saw it and then he says to me, Eric, can I break you so you do not work anymore? So I can have you exactly the way that I want you. Can I break your logic? Can I break your lusts? Can I break all these things that you're holding on to and that you do by default, these things that you do by name? Can I break it so that I can have you completely? This is what I want. I, 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 I knelt down. I said, oh, please. Please do it. I, I, want, I want to be broken. Please break me. Break anything you see, Lord, that works so that I can be completely yours. So, Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray that you would just invite them to be with you, to make room for you. Lord, may they gladly let other desires die so that they can lay on you a little longer. Lord, I pray they hear even now from your heart a question. Will you let me break you? Can I break you? If you want the Lord to break you, just in your own heart, just tell him, yes, Lord, it's okay. Come break me. Break whatever you want. Take whatever you want. So you can make me whatever you want. I will make room for you. I will prepare for it too. I will make room for you. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.